Welcome to Pause 5 Podcast, a podcast for people living with HIV, their friends, family and allies. Proudly supported by Dublin Pride, Sydney Queer Irish and the Irish Consulate in Sydney. Hello everyone and welcome back to this week's episode of the Pause 5 Podcast. My name is Robbie Lawler. And my name is Veda Lady and we are coming to you live from Sydney. Australia, 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 as we like to say, but more so than just Sydney, we're in Qtopia Museum, which is a queer, Sydney's first queer museum. And I feel like this is such a special episode because we are in the presence of Australian royalty. Yes, we're in front of David Paulson AM. Am I correct? Yes, you are. Yeah. So that's an honorific here in Australia. Yes. And does that mean Correct me if I'm wrong, a member of the Order of Australia. Correct, yes. Wow. wow. So you're a lady. Yeah. <laughs> or a dame. 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 Dame David. Dame David. Dame nothing like damn David. Damn Dame David. Oh, that's been said too. Right? I'm sure, I'm sure. So, um, David, you are Australian royalty, especially in the HIV world, but will you share with our listeners a bit about you and your story? Sure. Uh, in 1984, I was one of the first 400 people in Australia diagnosed with HIV AIDS. Uh, not only that, I was told that I was going to die. It, I had maybe a year to live. But in the next breath, the doctor said to me, don't tell anyone. Mm. Because of the atmosphere of hatred, um, vitriol, discrimination, and that old word we come back to, stigma. So could you imagine, I was 29, I was told I was going to die, and I couldn't talk to anyone about it. it so almost the, the diagnosis of HIV sort of wasn't so important. It was the not being able to talk about it. But you know, when I got the diagnosis, I felt that I was falling down this endless, big, black, bottomless pit. And as I was falling down the pit, there were these thoughts of disbelief, shame, guilt, suffocating terror. But there's also this little voice that said to me, no, no, you're not going to die from AIDS. It will not kill you. So that immediately became my mission. Mm -hmm. I was not going to die. So I went away from the doctors after about two or three hours of talking with him and it was pretty emotional and I went home and I didn't sleep that night, of course. And, but I used that time as a good time. I realised that saying I'm not going to die from AIDS wasn't going to keep me alive. I had to do something. Mm -hmm. So I came up with a little naive health plan. <laughs> I won't, I won't bore you with it now because it's quite a long plan, but mm -hmm. I came up with this plan and I implemented it and for six years it kept me going. Um, my CD4 count was very high, uh, I was healthy, I was fit, I exercised like a demon, I ate properly, blah, blah, blah. Will you send me that plan? Eh? <laughs> you send me that plan, please. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the next 10 years. Okay. Uh, I don't want to look like you when yeah. I get to your level of maturity. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a dame. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm very happy to share it. In fact, I will be putting it on the cover of my book. Wow. 
Yeah, so. Well, we're going to be pre-ordering it straight away. <laughs> That's what I want to know. So yeah, that was the, the, the first years of my life and with HIV. Then I took a job in Melbourne and life changed totally. It was, the atmosphere was to toxic, poisonous. I was brought into a, a job where I had to fire a lot of people through because they were stealing. Uh, so it was a great deal of stress. And my CD4 count, your listeners know about CD4 counts? Yeah. My CD4 counts fell from 800 to 220. Wow. And as you both know, 200 was the magic the number where you were, you were full-blown AIDS. So I freaked. I um, rang my dear friend, Brett Tindall, Dr. Brett Tindall, he had done, I'd, I'll just quickly go back. After I'd been diagnosed, I made this vow or this promise to my doctor and anyone who would listen. I was going to help medical science find out more about HIV to find a treatment or a cure. So two weeks later, my doctor rang up and said, there's a medical student who's doing a study on people who have just zero zero converted mm -hmm. would you do it? i said do it i'll do it and then met brett and brett and i became very close friends so when i got this awful news in melbourne i rang him and he said david leave the job in melbourne come back to sydney and i'll get you an appointment with david cooper now unfortunately the late professor david cooper so i did that i left melbourne came back to sydney and i saw david and that was the beginning of my real journey with HIV because David was wonderful. Uh, he was worried about me, <clears throat> excuse me, he was worried about my, me because my CB4 count was so low. Uh, and he put me on AZT. Now, I was worried about AZT because like everyone, we'd heard the awful mm. side effects. So I said, David, I don't know about me. He said, you must take it. You have to. So I did. I took it for six, eight months and it was fine. I thought, oh, there was, there was no problem. I thought, what was all this about then? But suddenly, slowly and insidiously, it got worse and worse and worse. Until one day I went, I crawled into work and I thought I was going to die. I, it just my body was closing down on me. So I rang David and David said, stop it, stop the AZT. So I did. And I was drug free for another couple of years, I think it was, wow. before the trials came about. And so when the, the drugs, the trial drugs started to come, I went on them all. Mm -hmm. Not all, I can't, I can't say that because I became resistant to several, several classes of drugs. Mm -hmm. But all, in all, I did 28 HIV drug trials. 28? Wow. Yep. You were the guinea pig. Yeah, I was. <laughs> and let me tell you, they were all hideous. Mm -hmm. And I, when you described that first drug without naming it, mm -hmm. I knew exactly what it was because that was one of my trial drugs. Wow. And it was hideous. And you probably got different dosaging as well. Oh, they were, yeah. they, they were maximum doses. Yeah. Every, every drug we took was, I think, 1,200 milligrams wow. um, twice a day. 
That's like me in Ibiza. <laughs> <laughs> Maximum dose <Okay>. daily. <laughs> Double dropping. So you would have had protease inhibitors at the maximum dose. Oh yeah, uh, for years, not just one. Um, I heard people, because I'm part of the European AIDS treatment group and I'm, um, I'm involved in greater community involvement in HIV clinical trials, exactly yeah. for this reason, right? How, do, how can we make these tr clinical trials as ethical as possible? And how do we make sure the drugs in the pipeline are what we need, are relevant, right? To make yes. This? So, um, but our friends who have been in it for a very long time who are on the protease inhibitors said they had to map out where all the local toilets were because they couldn't go without going to the toilet more than like 15 minutes at a time. They were that horrendous, like wow. they were all that all-consuming. Yeah, and there was also, well, ritonavir. When I was on the first uh, trial of ritonavir in Australia, it was liquid. Yeah. And the same thing there. But it got worse, it got worse and worse and worse. And it got to the point where I would have a meal and 20 minutes later there'd be this little gnawing feeling in my stomach. I knew I had to get to the toilet within 20 seconds, a projectile vomiting every single meal. Wow. And that went on for, I was on that trial for two years. Oh my God. Um, so, yeah, the, the, well, it was horrendous, mm -hmm. and you, you, you had to just wish that the toilet was vacant. Exactly. I mean, if you're out at a restaurant, there was no garage, <laughs> and it could have been very, very... You messy. are in order in Vindaloo, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> David, you have incredible mental strength and mental health then, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to keep going through a situation mm -hmm. like that. I do. Uh, I, I admit I do. I have. I, I never once. Oh, sorry. I, of course, I had moments of doubt and sadness. Uh, but it was. I had two things, and I'll tell you. This is part of my little health plan: meditation. Mm -hmm. I used the mantra, "My immune system is strong and healthy," and I repeated that over and over again. Then I did a visualization. I took a piece of cardboard, about that big, in the middle I put a black dot which was representing the HIV virus. Around that I surrounded it with hundreds and hundreds of green circles. My immune system overpowering the HIV virus. Wow. Around that I put two, uh, two circles of red hearts for love, love of myself, love of my family and friends, and love of life. Mm -hmm. Then around that I put a big yellow circle representing the sun for strength and happiness. Now I put that in the wall against, uh, opposite my bed, so when I went to bed at night it was the first, last thing I saw, and when I woke up in the morning it was the first thing I saw. Now those two things I really believe Help my mental mm -hmm. health a lot. Um, David, I have tears in my eyes, you know. I love to meditate and visualization helps me a lot as well. And yeah, I can so relate to that. But my circumstances have never been as dark or as scary as yours were back then. And yeah, I just think you're such a hero. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see myself as a hero. I just did what I had, had to do. You got into survival mode. Essentially, yeah, 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 it was, and I was determined mm -hmm. to survive. And as the friends of mine will tell you, I'm a very stubborn person. 
So that will to survive was there and it was not going to stop. AIDS was not going to get me. So I, I didn't ever give up. I mean, yes, there were moments of terrible grief, terrible doubt, but it dissipated the next day. I, I, I'd wake up and I'd say, I'm still here, I'm here to fight and I will fight. But thanks to you and your generation going through those awful clinical trials, my generation are getting the benefits. We're bearing the benefits. And of I am thrilled. I am so happy. I couldn't be happier. You know, I was on Ritonavir, it was one of my other drugs, um, and it worked a dream. But that's because the, it's only 10 milligrams. It's a boosted PI. That means it just stops one enzyme and that means the other drug, other protease inhibitors, goes up to the concentration. So That's you only right. need very little of both of them because it increases naturally because the enzymes um, inhibit it. But they only found out that because of these clinical trials. Yeah. And they, it, that's what David Cooper said. The, the clinical trials uh, ex, uh, sped through the process of finding what we have today. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I admit I've done my little bit for humanity. But you're a dame now, you deserve <laughs> it. You're a dame, I pop one pill. We call it like taking a tic-tac these days. Yeah, you <laughs> do. Your breath. Yes. Well, you're lucky. I, I still have to take um, one, three, four, five, six, eight, nine tablets a day. Wow. That's the HIV tablets. That's just the HIV one? Yeah, wow. that's just the HIV. I take 28 tablets a day. And why nine tablets, David, if you don't mind me asking? Because, I, because I'm resistant to so many classes uh, yeah. of drugs. I, doing all those trials made me resistant. And this, for me, really, until another drug comes along, another class of drugs, this is it for me. Uh -huh. If this starts to fail, which it won't, mm -hmm. uh, and if it does, there'll be something around the corner. Sorry? Is that diffusion? Is that the injection one now? Oh, the don't talk to me about the injection. Yeah. Oh, the injections are yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I heard we had, I had to do uh, salvage therapy, which was mm -hmm. involved T20, which is an injectable drug, and that was horrendous. You, at the the self-injecting was fine, I didn't mind that at all. But at the site of the injection, there'll be a, a lump, size of your fingernail or the size of a fist. Wow. And it would be red hot. It would feel like someone had a scalpel doing that to you all the time, day in and day out. And every day you had to do it twice, and the lumps didn't go down for five, six days. Wow. So you can imagine after two years. I'm surprised you didn't do a little vision board on each one. <laughs> I had, I could have been a, I don't know what, but it, I had, my body was just so covered with these lumps. I went into David one day in tears. I said, David, I can't do this anymore. I can't find anywhere mm -hmm. in my body that I could inject, which wow. doesn't hurt. So I, that was T20 and they were the injecting ones. But now having, uh, injecting drugs for HIV and PrEP, yeah. It's just wonderful. It's, it's now. I would like my next mission. I've Tell got, us about the yes, future. I've, I, I've got Futopia up and running thanks yes. to 
Greg Fisher. Let's talk about Utopia. We're in it. We are Utopia listeners. And we got emotional while we were just looking around. It's just so, it's just so awe-inspiring. It's It's a beautiful exhibition Mm -hmm. here. Yes. And how did that happen? Well, when David died, his um, wife and I were chatting on the phone. And she said to me, oh, Polly, they call me Polly because David Paulson. Can I call you Polly? You know. <laughs> okay. Um, Polly Parton? Polly. <laughs> um, Polly, it's, such, it's so sad that David didn't get to see his AIDS museum come to fruition. And I said, Dory, I'm going to make sure this happens. So... I bumped into Ian Roberts, the famous Ian Roberts, the footballer, the gay footballer, and literally 10 minutes later, I told him and he said, I'm in, mate, I'm in. Then I rang former High Court Judge Michael Kirby, and he said he was in, I thought it was a great idea, but we needed to expand it Mm -hmm. to include the oppressed and the persecuted, which I thought, yeah. And so we met round at Dory's table, a group of us, and... I was sitting one day thinking, I thought, no, we need more, we need to celebrate all these wonderful queer people that have been in our city and in Australia. So celebration came in and then education, we became, all of us, we all have this absolute passion for education, Mm -hmm. trans, gender identity, sexual identity, Mm -hmm. sexual health, the whole gamut, we are absolutely passionate about education. So we got to a point, uh, it was Christmas, two Christmases ago, Greg, yeah. Everyone was away except Greg, and I rang him, I said, can we have, can you come and have a meeting? And he said, yeah, or coffee, I think. And I said to him, Greg, we've reached a point I can't do anything anymore. I know I've reached the end of my abilities in organising this. What we need is someone of the capabilities you have. Would you be prepared to be our pro bono, pro bono Mm -hmm. CEO until we get this up and running? And Greg said, as I said in my opening speech, his reaction to my request was so wonderful because it expressed the same passion and exuberance for this project that I had. So I knew I'd asked the right man, and I certainly had. But Greg took, from that day, literally from that day, Greg took us from that point to this point, and this is what you're seeing today. And it's and more, And there's more to come. So I'm very inspired and you know the artivism side of the activism that we do is more my baby yeah. and I, as soon as I walked in here my phone was out and I was clicking pictures of every <laughs> thing, all of the graphics, the information, the way that it's presented, I feel so inspired, I feel like I got things here today mm-hmm. from this exhibit that I can take home with me mm-hmm. and use to help right. us. It's Did you see the videos? Did you see the videos? Yes, yes. I haven't said, oh, there's a few now that I want to see. I've seen your beautiful video <laughs> and then I got distracted and it got really busy in here as well yes, at one did, point, yes. which is amazing to see. David, can I just ask, 
based on Qtopia because uh, I did read up a little bit about uh, all the media and uh, attention you got around this. And you said that you want Qtopia for people to remember the past of HIV, but use that past to help inform our future. Yes, absolutely. What kind of key takeaways can we get from the past in terms of our HIV response now, but also what to live with HIV now? What, what can we gather from the past and the past experiences? Well, I think from the past experience, the most important thing is we need to fight stigma because stigma is really the basis of moving forward. Until we can overcome stigma, we will never end HIV. Yes. Stigma stops people testing. And this is my big campaign. Test, test, test. Know your status. If you're positive, take the pill a day. If you're not, take PrEP. PrEP is wonderful. PrEP works. Uh -huh. we, so we need to educate people and get over this dreadful stigma because it's a killer. And it goes right back to the early days, as I know. Um, people uh, were just so horrible, and unfortunately, it's stuck in queer people's minds, gay men's minds. Mm -hmm. And they, they have this self-stigma self now. They just won't go and test because they're terrified. Mm -hmm. If they do turn out to be positive, what will happen to them? And nothing will. And nothing they, will, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear now. And the stigma also robs you, I think, of so many wonderful things. Because it stops people testing, but it also stops people from disclosing. And not disclosing can have such a negative impact on things like your sex life and your relationship. Because we often talk about this idea of sexual healing, mm. which can happen after you disclose to a partner or even to a community, that you can really start to enjoy sex again. Yeah. Because Keeping a secret in the bedroom, having that level of intimacy, but not being fully yourself and being fully present, not displaying trust or being trusted, it just leads to the kind of bad sex that just keeps us stuck in this self-stigmatizing rut as queer people. Absolutely. I would agree more. David, I see some parallels from your story to my own, and I got diagnosed in 2012. So at your point of diagnosis, you were told, don't tell anyone. Yeah. When I was diagnosed in 2012, my social worker, Deirdre, and she probably meant this in the best way possible, but what she said was, Robbie, be careful who you tell about your status, because once it's out, you can't take it back. And this is in 2012, she was told, you're a dirty secret or you have something to be ashamed of, and that terrified the life out of me. Mm. That was just before my mum was coming in the door too. Um, and we're trying to break the mould. You've been breaking the mould for decades now, you're a dame now. What advice would you give to people listening who hasn't told anyone, who has been, who's in the closet? Um, do you have any advice for them? Well, I, I always say to people, HIV is a bit like, HIV today is a bit like cancer back in the 50s and the 60s. As a young kid, I remember my parents and neighbours talking, saying, oh, have you heard Mrs Smith's got the big C, mm. the big C. It was, it was something you just did not talk about. But suddenly, over the decades, cancer has become almost fashionable. Uh, Obviously, it's not fashionable, but it's people it's are coming out and they're talking about it. They're like, which one have you got? That's Stage right, one, yeah. two, three, or four. Yeah, exactly. And this is what I'd, I'd like to see with people with HIV. 
I'd like them to talk about it, come out and say, I'm HIV positive, I take medication, I can't pass on the virus, I'm living a, a healthy, happy life. Yes. Um, the more people that do this, the more normalised HIV will be and the less scary. Because I've come across so many people who don't believe the science, mm -hmm. they don't believe in the medication, if everyone talks about it, if there's living proof, you, you, me, yeah. people can't deny living proof. Mm -hmm. David, that makes so much sense to me. My father passed from cancer in 2006, and even though I'm pretty sure I know what kind of cancers he had, I'm only pretty sure I know. Wow. Because he was so shameful about the whole situation mm -hmm. that he never told me directly or even my siblings, what kind of cancer he had. Um, because I think because cancer can be caused by drinking, smoking, all the things that he did that he felt were wrong or he felt judged about. And I, I received my HIV diagnosis just a couple of years after he passed. And I remember thinking about that relationship between his cancer and my HIV and how sad it was that he couldn't really express himself about what he was going through and how sad it was that here I was, the next generation, doing exactly the same thing. But I don't feel sad today, David. I feel really inspired. Oh, I'm good. Turned on. I feel like I'm just, my mouth open. I'm just in, in awe uh, of the exhibition and of you. And if there's anyone who deserves a knighthood, we're going to bring you up on that ladder. It's a crown. A crown. Again, Can I get to the coronation? Yeah. <laughs> good question. Good question. We'll put the crown on your head and it's going to be fabulous, as fabulous as you are. So um, I, I'm sure all our listeners back home and around the world has enjoyed us as much as we have. So thank you very much, David Holson AM. Okay, everyone, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Positive Podcast. And remember to stay powerful and stay positive. Until next time. Ciao. Bye. Thank you for listening to Pause 5 Podcast. Thank you to everyone who got tested, everyone who's on treatment, and everyone who's on prep. We love you, and we're in this together. This season of Pause 5 Podcast is recorded in Sydney, Australia, on the land of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people. We wish to acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this beautiful place.